Understood is a resource I have recommended for many years to parents looking for support with learning and thinking differences such as ADHD, dyslexia, and more. And I'm subsequently excited to tell you about their podcast, Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. They cover topics such as how to tell if your child needs an IEP, common myths about special education, and the difference between IEPs and 504 plans. I love how Understood Explains breaks down the overwhelm by unpacking an important topic each season and then drilling down further into key basics in each episode. Most episodes are between 10 to 15 minutes, and episodes are available in both English and Spanish. So fantastic, right? To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Edit Your Life podcast. I'm Christine Coe. And I'm Asha Dornfest, and we're here to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. We share practical ways to declutter your home schedule and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. And we believe that baby steps are the key to getting there. Okay, hello, friends. Welcome, welcome. And today we have a very special guest, Jonathan Baxter. Hi. Hi, Christine. Hi. Uh, I have to say... You've heard this many times, but I will call you out uh, because you are one of the probably the most requested guest um, to return to the podcast. So we kind of teased out a couple episodes ago that you would be returning and people are excited. Thank you for having me. That's very nice to hear. Yeah. Not to put too much. Try to to live up to those expectations. Yeah. Not to put too much pressure on. So um, today's episode was inspired by a listener letter. Uh, We've actually been responding to quite a lot of listener letters, um, both in a couple of rapid fire episodes, Asha and I did, as well as um, a recent other rapid fire episode with Christian Howerton, who I mentioned to you is a writer and a therapist. So we've definitely got our therapy game on and I'm going to read this letter. um, But do you have any, anything preliminary you want to share before I, I get into it? No, I'm super happy to be here. Okay. Hi, Asha, wherever you are. <laughs> yes, she will be tuning in, I'm sure. Okay, so uh, listeners, this is trimmed, a trimmed version of the letter, um, but it is a little bit lengthy, so just stay with me. Okay, the, the listener writes, Following the birth of my first child, my husband and I were both working in big jobs, and we had a few years where life was pretty tough. Working schedules, the stress of getting home to the nanny, and later daycare, on time, Travel, a nasty political situation at work, which came out of me taking maternity leave, a child who didn't sleep, never having clean socks, weekend burnout. You get the picture. I had a mini emotional meltdown, got shingles as a result of my stress levels, and then a miscarriage, and we decided together that I would leave my job and do some freelance work. I did, I have, and it's been wonderful. We had a second child. We relocated the family 400 miles away. I now exercise, volunteer, do a tiny amount of work. Our house runs pretty efficiently. The kids are happy. The youngest one is a sleeper. Hooray. And we spend our weekends doing fun family things around our new home. All good. I'm starting graduate school and I will be able to work flexibly and directly with people. And I'm really excited, but also a bit scared. The last time I was this busy, I got ill and I don't want that to happen again. 
So I think my question is, as I've stepped back from paid work over the last four years, I've naturally taken on more of the mental and physical load of our home and family. I need to share that load with my husband and kids, but I don't know how. My husband works a challenging job with lots of travel, but is wonderful and hands-on with the kids when he is here. I'll get a cleaner, but I need to share the responsibility of knowing what needs to be done. My husband clears things away by putting them in a pile because he doesn't know where things go. I organize all the kids' activities, childcare, birthday presents, grocery shopping, meal planning, and cooking. Before I left my job, we did all of that together, but I'm struggling to get back to that without moaning at him all the time. And kids and chores? Help. (laughs) Um, So, John, we will have a ton to talk about, no doubt. Yeah, there's a lot lot in that. There's a lot to unpack here. And listeners, we will return to talk about that after a quick break. Are you, like pretty much every parent of younger kids I know, looking for a smart entertainment option for your kids? Designed for kids ages six and up, Mysteries About True Histories, also known as Math, How Smart Is That?, is a weekly podcast full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and humor. And while kids will enjoy the stories anchored around characters like troublesome trolls, pirate queens, and mysterious aunts, adults can benefit too. I admittedly delighted in learning a thing or two about Pythagoras and triangles in one episode. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code-breaking, pattern-solving, and more, all weaving humor in with education to make learning fun. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a great length for transition times during the day or a bedtime treat. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're, Amy, more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, listeners, we are back with Jonathan Baxter, and we are talking about a listener letter uh, from a woman who is returning to work, or rather was in a dual working household um, with a very intense intense situation, got very sick, had shingles, uh, the stress was huge, um, and is returning to a stressful work environment and is very worried. So, John, I wanted to talk first about, because this is really so much your lane, um, you know, this idea of the body being a teacher, you know, listeners know that I had uh, what we were calling a stress seizure because we didn't know what it was last summer. And I've certainly learned the hard way, um, you know, about how our bodies really are boss. And, you know, what have you seen in your practice about the physical manifestation of stress and being overwhelmed in the context of this letter too? Mm, that's a good question. Um, 
First, I just want to say that I am always impressed with the candor of your listeners and your listener letters. Uh, you know, here is a woman who has not only got very ill and sharing some uh, a hard current dilemma, but also that she had a miscarriage, right? This is uh, intense personal stuff. That's a courageous thing to share. So thank you to her. Um, the body, uh, body as teacher, boy, it's uh, sometimes a harsh teacher, I guess, is, is uh, one of the first things that comes to mind. And I hear the worry in this letter. Um, it's interesting that there's kind of two things going on here. Here, one is that uh, this worry about returning to work or school and the risk of getting overwhelmed. And it sort of feels like if I get back in the, on the highway, am I suddenly going to have to go as fast as I was going before and uh, end up in a situation that was really painful and difficult? Um, and then there's the question that she frames, which is how to share that, share the workload with her spouse. Um, I would just start, I guess, with recognizing that those are two different questions. That if the underlying fear is really, am I going to get out of control and is my body going to uh, revolt again in some way or tell me that I can't handle this or something like that, that's okay. Like, just start there. That that's mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of options on the table when it comes to managing stress and figuring out balance in life. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is that if anything you're going to enter into. I would want this person to feel some sense of agency and control uh, rather than feeling like if I sign up for this, I have to sign up for all of the things that will feel out of control. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. the, um, other than basic safety and food on the table and, and shelter over your head, um, everything else you can say no to on any given day. Mm. So it does. The, I guess the, I, if I'm hearing this correctly, the listener sounds like, She's afraid that things will get out of control. They felt sort of out of control before and like they could get out of control again. Um, and I think if that's the case, then I would start with um, it's okay to listen to your body. It's okay to set your own limits and boundaries and you're never going to have everything be perfect day to day. But uh, just because you sign up to do something doesn't mean you have to sign up to give away your own sense of agency in the world. Yes, I agree. And um, yeah, I mean, the ability to say no and know that that can be a fluid process and that you can do that at any time. I think we I mean, we were just talking about that this morning. You you lose sight of that when you're kind of in the rush and the flow of parenting and, you know, all these little choices that stack up day to day. Mm -hmm. I also think um, I don't know what you think about this, but or this approach, but I think one really positive and powerful thing about even reading this letter was I felt like okay, she has awareness. She has memory of obviously these two very difficult physical things she went through. And even that awareness, um, I think will be really helpful for her. Cause I know mm. personally, I don't know if you, I think I told you this, that, you know, after the challenges of the summer before this past one, I literally put in my calendar on for July or something like this, or no, no, before school ended for June, saying, remember what happened last summer. Mm -hmm. And it was almost a reminder, like you need to be intentional about what you're doing. And I feel like she has that in her, mm -hmm. in her court here. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I think that people who are really ambitious and, you know, she describes both her and her husband's work as big jobs, people who have a lot of responsibility, uh, people who have done the hard work necessary to get to high pressure uh, situations like that. I think sometimes people with those kinds of personalities 
uh, lose touch with the signals that come from their own body that Mm. say, hey, we learn to push through stress, right? We learn to uh, feel like slowing down is weakness in some way. And Mm. so I just push through it. And we all know that's a losing game in the long run. You have to do some of that some of the time, you know, so to be able to differentiate, yes, I want to get up in the middle of the night with my child to take care of them because I have to, and that's my job. And I can do that on one end of the spectrum from, uh, I really don't want to deliver this presentation at work. Something feels wrong about that. Mm -hmm. And if I do that, I might be actually subjecting my nervous system to more stress than is healthy for me. Mm. Those can be different situations. Mm -hmm. And I agree. It's great that she's uh, wants to listen to that. Um, And I think when you set your intention for that, there's a lot of room to work. Most Mm -hmm. bodies don't generally break all at once. You know, there are usually signs, right? There's stress that are, that builds up over time. There's, yes. um, you get the signals that ap- your appetite is changing, that, um, you know, your nervous system is something that I think we all can listen to more mm-hmm. and uh, try to, dis- I love the word discernment, so that we can try to discern what is just kind of the noise of day-to-day life from what are the signals that are saying, you know what, um, I need to smile more often Mm -hmm. or I need to exercise or play more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, If I can, at the risk of rambling on, one other thing I would add is that um, it has occurred to me that we think about stress. We tend to think about stress as like a a one continuum. You either have a lot of stress and you're stressed out or you're sitting on the beach with a margarita and you're not stressed out. But I actually think people who get a lot done feel a lot of workload, but they tend to feel like it's actually kind of okay that they're doing it. Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of stress in the sense that they have a lot of responsibility and work, but they're not necessarily stressed out and that mm-hmm. they don't necessarily feel like they're fighting it all the time. Mm-hmm. And we know that when you are in a state of positive arousal, uh, your body works better. Mm-hmm. We know that sometimes a simple act of smiling before you do something is enough to remind your body that you're doing it by choice, not because somebody's making you do it. Mm. If you go out and run a mile and you choose to do it, that can actually feel good. If you run a mile because somebody's forcing you to do it or because it's a crisis situation, it can feel terrible. Yeah. Uh, is there room in this person's life to remember that she's choosing mm. what she's choosing? Mm-hmm. Very powerful. Um, you know, I have one one other quick question to put you on the spot about before we move on, because we have a lot of ground to cover here. Uh, I think feel as if I have heard um, this terminology. And when you, when you were, it really struck me when you said earlier, you know, your body's not going to break all at once. So to me that says, okay, we need to be a little bit more mindful about where our body is at on a given day. So do you do, um, or do you talk to your clients about like, I feel like I've heard the term body scan. Am I making that up? Like, I feel like where you do a quick thing and like, if so, what are what are the pieces of that? Sure, that's a great question. Um, there's been a, a lot of mindfulness stuff that has uh, come from Buddhism, basically, and into Western culture and Western psychotherapy. Um, body mindfulness of the body, awareness of the body, including body scanning, which um, is a term that people use to describe an exercise where you are actually bringing your awareness, maybe from the top of your head down through your body towards your feet or the other direction and looking for tension and usually trying to let it go, that's a particular, or even just be aware of it. That's a particular exercise. Um, I'm not doing a lot of that these days myself. I don't, not specifically teaching it in part because I think we can get over-focused on trying to find mm. each little 
mm-hmm. not in your back or spot of tension and then feeling bad that we have it in some way. Mm. For me, the whole point is, yes, cultivate awareness of what your body is saying, but also do it as much as you can with a sense of, and I keep coming back to this today, this idea of like a little bit of an inner smile, a little bit of a sense yeah. of like, it's okay. I read this person's letter and big picture, they have resources, it sounds like. They can afford to hire help. They have a family that clearly is, a, a um, in, from what she's described, a loving, supportive family. They have kids who sound like they're doing well. Like, remember, remember some gratitude for mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And your body will actually respond better from that mm-hmm. place than if you're always coming from a place of, uh, I need to solve this problem, find the problem and solve it. Yeah, Your body can't be your problem. It's got to be your ally. Okay. Put that on a t-shirt. All right. <laughs> um, I want to move on to talk about gender. And when you and I were talking earlier about this letter, uh, you were talking about naming gender differences that are likely still common related to housework. Can you talk about uh, why that's important? Sure. Um, so there's the listener um, moves on to suggesting from sort of stating the problem to suggesting that maybe the solution is to um, figure out how to share the workload with her spouse. And in particular, uh, the idea that she owns the tasks, but um, he's willing to do them, but doesn't necessarily have ownership of them. I think that's super common. And um, for all the progress that we are making, and I want to believe we're making, and I think we are as a society around gender, Still, in most families that I meet, most families that I hear about, not all of them, but most, I would say the vast majority, if if we're talking about a male-female couple, the woman is the one who feels like she owns more of the tasks around the house. Mm -hmm. And that isn't in in and of itself a bad thing, but if it feels like it's happening by default in an unquestioned way, it's really hard to not breed resentment on some level about that. Um. And and again, I don't, I'm not saying who should have the jobs or who should be responsible or whatever. Um, but I have heard many times the story of the man saying, what are you complaining about? I washed the dishes and the woman feeling like, well, what do you want extra points? I wash dishes in 95% of the time. Um, is there some shared sense of responsibility for the global family system? And then also within that, for the different pieces of the system. So if the husband's going to have one set of jobs and the wife's going to have other set of jobs, again, assuming we're talking about male, female couple, um, that's fine. But why are we assuming that the man's going to cut the grass and the woman's going to wash the clothes or whatever? Um, When the kids come along, is there going to be some shared sense of, are we both responsible for making sure the kid has lunch together. Mm -hmm. And some of this stems from biology. I think if you Mm -hmm. started in a family where the woman is breastfeeding, then she owns that task. No doubt about it. Right. Um, But breastfeeding is not forever. (laughs) And by the (laughs) time, by the time you're scooping baby food out of a jar into something, or by the time you're packing lunches for school, um, there is not in my head, any particular reason why that job should, should belong to one person rather than the other. And, um, Shared ownership is teamwork, right? That is, you got to feel like a team. For me, one of the key elements of marriage is teamwork. And you don't all have to share the tasks 50-50, but you have to share responsibility for them 50-50. Yes, I agree. I think we'll talk a little bit more about this later. But, you know, one thing I talk with a lot of parents about, and it's funny how ingrained it gets, and maybe it's a gender thing, I don't know, but 
you know, the idea, and this is something I learned, you know, in partnership with you, that there are more ways to get from point A to point B. Mm. And it doesn't matter if uh, I'm using air quotes, if somebody is like packing a lunch right or folding laundry right, you know, it's just, it just needs to get done. And if it gets done, you know, splitting it up, um, you know, gives your family more flexibility. Do you think sometimes people or uh, sometimes women hold on to a job because of a concern for how it's going to get done? Is oh my gosh. Mean? Yes. I hear that all the time. You know, people say, well, I don't like the way, you know, he loads the dishwasher or folds the laundry. And I'm like, I have, uh, I have to okay. pack lunch cause he'll just pack goldfish and granola bars, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm yeah. pretty sure is what I ate for a snack before bedtime. Last night. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So I just, I mean, I'm always encouraging people like take the pressure off. Like, yeah. why do you, why, yes. why do we want to have all those jobs? Like yeah. I don't want to be the sole owner of, of yeah. those jobs. So. So, I, so there's another piece of the dynamic that I have not, everything I've said up until now about gender, I feel like is pretty common knowledge. The, this piece that you're describing, I think is a little more provocative and also should be called out loud. Um, I think because women tend to get socialized so much more to be responsible for the family system, mm. I still think as a society, we tend to tell boys kind of do what you want up to a certain age. Whereas we tend to tell girls, if somebody in the family isn't okay, that's partly your problem. Like mm -hmm. you have to deal with that. And it's a reasonable hypothesis to think that those girls grow up to be women who feel responsible for the family system. And that more part of the male psyche is to say, everybody's going to take care of their own. Mm, if mm -hmm. you're struggling with it, if you don't like that the dishes, the sink is full of dishes, that's on you. That's your right. It doesn't bother me any, mm -hmm. right? I know I can get a dish if I need it. And I think in many family systems, women don't feel like that's okay. That is part of what the shared responsibility is. And many men do, don't care that that isn't getting done. Yeah, And I, so I'm not, I'm a little less confident in saying that, but I think that does exist, at least in some systems. Um, and it's a good point for discussion. It's a good point for conversation. Is, is the job of the family then to tend to the needs of the person who wants to see it done a certain way? Or mm. is the job of the family to loosen up a little bit and say, just because I want it this way doesn't mean it has to be this way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I know it's something I wrestle with in the tidy department. And, the, and uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think we, I'm not sure I can answer that million dollar question right I mean, this moment. You are, not to make us an example, but you are clearly a make a big mess and then clean it all up all the way person. Whereas I am a maintain <laughs> a moderate mess all the time person. Uh-huh. And so if I was in charge of the sink all the time, it would just be partly full of dishes all the time, mm -hmm. but never overflowing. Mm -hmm. And if you're in charge of the sink, it's going to get filled all the way to the overflowing and then cleaned all the way to the bottom. Uh huh. And because your approach is more uh, active, mm -hmm. that tends to take precedent. Right. Right. That it's like if you're in a group of people where one person wants to talk loudly and somebody else wants to be quiet, the loud talker determines the volume of the conversation. Yeah. Unless you consciously assert for the other thing. Yeah. So it's interesting to, I would be curious to hear from your listeners uh, to both men and women, um, how those who are in relationship, how you set the rules in the house. I mean, I'm making air quotes around rules, but mm -hmm. how you decide what happens when one person says, I think it should happen this way, not just for me, but for everyone. Mm. Right? I think the kids really should only be eating whatever, not packaged food mm -hmm. and the other partner doesn't care about it. Who gets to decide that question mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. a really good uh, wrestling point for relationships. 
Yeah, we might need to have a separate conversation about that. When I was out at PayPal speaking in July, somebody asked me this that very question. And, you know, I don't like the way my partner does it. <laughs> I'm not okay with it. I can't just roll with it. So I'll, uh, give, I'll give you, a, without delving too far down, and I'll give you a hint to where my sympathies lie on that. Um, I will tell you that it is much harder to make somebody do something than it is to not do something. So the person okay. who wants the partner to do their partner to do something else is in a tougher position. <laughs> and I get a lot as a psychotherapist, I'll tell you, I am taught, I've been trained and I believe myself that um, speaking up in relationship matters, but a more powerful position is as long as I know what I'm getting basically what I need, can I roll roll with mm. most of the rest? Mm-hmm. It does not feel good to walk around in life constantly feeling like what you see around you is not enough. These other people are not yes. doing enough. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Ooh, okay. I didn't know we were going there. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going lots of places. Okay, well, so I want to, you know, tackle a big question in like right. five minutes. <laughs> yeah, let's see what else we can do. So um, I want to tackle the having it all myth because I definitely felt like a stress itch or like a crick in my neck creeping in when I read this letter. Um, and I know that when I'm under big stress, you know, the first thing actually, even though a tidy home, like, or just relatively tidy makes me feel more calm when I'm under duress, like the first thing to go is the house. I just can't even see it. So, and that's just a small slice of this, but you know, why do you think that people even believe in having it all nonsense anymore? It just feels so disjointed from reality. Like I don't even get it. Yeah. It's, um, by having it all myth, you mean, uh, in the context of this letter, you mean uh, the idea that you're going to have big time, two people, both with high pressure jobs and kids and, uh, and a never house, lose your house temper, that feels nice perfect, and all, all that, that stuff. other stuff. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. I One thing I would say is that I don't really think our society is well programmed to do things part way. It's very hard to get, find part-time jobs that are really high responsibility jobs. Yes. Uh, You and I have both worked to be self-employed in various ways and made sacrifices for that in part so that we can dial up and down Mm -hmm. to some degree. Um, All the jobs I ever had that were working for somebody else, um, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of pushback to give more and more of yourself. Mm-hmm. to those environments. Mm-hmm. And there's always somebody who seems to have more freedom and more time than you do. <laughs> and I mean, I have literally worked in companies or a company I'm thinking of where people are sending emails at two in the morning and making important decisions. And so if you're willing to be working at two in the morning, you get the power of making those decisions. And if mm. not, you're decreased in your status there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it is a real challenge, not just some sort of uh, you know personal failing to say, yeah, I do want to work and I'm somebody who can do a high pressure, high responsibility kind of job. And also I want to have a relationship with my Mm -hmm. family. Um, I would come back to what I said up front, which is, I think it is more possible if you can stay in touch with the idea that you are the one making the choices to do these things. Mm -hmm. As soon as you sign up for a job where you feel like you've given away all your power, somebody else is going to tell you what to do all the time. Uh, you're in a hard spot. Yeah. I love my kids. I want to see my kids, but my boss can tell me what to do and I have to do it. I'm making a grimacey face that <laughs> your, your, your listeners can't see. Um, that feels like a formula for a lot of stress. Yeah. So I would want this listener and, you know, we may be reading into more into 
what's going on than what she actually said. But if that's what's happening here, I would want this listener to um, enter into this new school and work experience with the idea that she's in charge of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'll stop there because I have some ideas about how to do that, but maybe we can save that for the your tips at the end. Oh, yeah. I mean, whatever you want to do. I just, um, yeah, I, I feel like uh, I'm not sure what the word is, but I just feel like these moments when you're sort of, I feel like we're all hard on ourselves, right? So mm-hmm. if you, even if you're not talking about it in the context of having it all it, with those specific words, I feel like we're always, people are always feeling like they're not doing enough or they're failing in some way. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's got to be, uh, I don't know, some kind of self-compassion exercise or moment mm-hmm. or breath that you take just to kind of remember, like, as you said, you know, you, you, you can make the choices for yourself. And I think that's just an important thing to keep in mind. Yeah, I love that. A self-compassion moment or a breath moment. The, we use the fancy words in my work, or some people use the uh, differentiate between an internalized locus of evaluation versus an externalized locus of evaluation. Just a fancy way of saying, are you judging yourself and your experience based on something you feel inside yourself or based mm-hmm. on what you see around you and outside mm-hmm. of you? You're never going to make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't work to do things in the world, but it is interesting that the practices in our world that really focus on a balance and on letting go and detachment also kind of tend to embrace humility and not really striving for a lot of material goods. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of Buddhist monks are uh, openly practicing not striving for material wealth. Um, I think of AA as an organization, Alcoholics Anonymous as Mm -hmm. an organization that has a lot of teaching about humility and about letting go. Mm -hmm. And it's an openly non-hierarchical, not trying to um, be for profit and build a big institution kind of organization. Can those of us who aren't taking vows of poverty also try to discover some way to feel like we can let go of what we need to let go of while still being active enough to say, okay, here's a problem I want to solve today. That's it, man. That's what we're all trying to do, I think. Mm. All right. Well, that is uh, the perfect uh, sort of concluding thought on this first half of our episode. Um, John and I have a ton more to address, and we are going to do that after a quick break. Hi there. I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, 
a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Okay, friends, we're back with Jonathan Baxter, who I forgot to even mention at the top of this episode is a therapist. (laughs) So, um, you know, all of this uh, conversation we're having today is coming from the lens, you know, a professional and a personal lens. So um, welcome back, John. Thank you. Um, So, you know, the top of our episode was very big picture. It's what I call like the Asha and John section, really. (laughs) And the back half of our episode, we're going to try to get a little tactical because I know, you know, people are probably thinking, okay, so how do I do the things that they were talking about? So I want to talk about, you know, we touched on it, but this idea of letting go of how things should, again, air quotes, be done. Um, You know, this quote from the letter really stood out to me. She writes, I need to share the responsibility of knowing what needs to be done My husband clears things away by putting them in a pile because he doesn't know where they go. I think one of the things, you know, here in this quote that I learned in early parenting, you know, was just the kind of surrendering that notion. And as I had mentioned earlier, you know, there's more than one one way to get from point A to point B. So I would love to hear your thoughts on this Um, and any kind of is there like a mantra that people can kind of remind themselves of when they have a moment where they're getting ready to get really pissed off about somebody not doing something the way they want it to be done? Yeah, good question. Um, I think I would, if I felt myself in that position or if I was sitting with that person, I would invite a moment of reflection about what um, specifically what it is in your being that makes it so important for that to get done the right way. So for example, mm. I think about feeding the kids as a great example when you have little kids. Uh, feeding your kids or medical decisions about your kids. Uh, you hear the same topic come up around vaccinations. Um, if there is something, some part of a decision that feels like my child is going to suffer if I get this wrong, mm-hmm. that's so triggering for us as parents. Uh, so when one parent comes in and sees the other parent making a decision that is different than what they would make, right? Uh, how could you leave the child alone in this room? Um, how could you feed them this food? How could you, whatever, um, the root of that need to control that I think is the fear that something bad is going to happen to your kid. Mm -hmm. So I might push even a little more and ask somebody who's experiencing a lot of that to spend a day looking at all the moments where they get angry or upset about the way that their partner is doing something or about the way they're, they themselves are doing something or not doing something. And when they feel like they need to control it and see if they can see, is there a fear underneath it? Mm-hmm. So um, my kid might be getting, uh, you come home and you find that your partner has left your child in the bathroom, in the bathtub without paying attention to them. Is there a risk of that child drowning? If there is, then like a big angry, fearful response is actually pretty appropriate. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Right. The kid's not okay. If you come home and the beds aren't made, do you need the same big, angry, fearful mm-hmm. response? Mm-hmm. because of that is that a somehow a signal of things being dangerously out of control 
or is if you close the door and didn't look at it, would life be just as good? Right. That way. That um, in most cases, and I don't want to take away from those cases where there's relationships or situations where things really are out of control, but so much of what we feel stressed out about are not life and death issues. Mm-hmm. They're nice to haves more than need to haves. Right. Yes. And figuring out how to let go of that is really hard work. It's not so simple as just looking at it and breathing and letting go. But I do think it's worth a practice for all of us to check and say, do I need this reaction right now? Is mm-hmm. there some action I want to take? And if the answer is no, I, it's not life and death, mm-hmm. then it's your job to figure out what to do with it. You take a breath, you try to let go, you move on to the next thing, you focus on what would feel really good right now. Yep. Uh, see if you can shift somehow from the sense of I'm not getting what I need into, um, for me, it's being able to laugh at the chaos of it. That's the sort of the, mm-hmm. the exit door. Because <laughs> let's the the children have so much more capacity to make a mess than I have to clean it up. Like I'm just, <laughs> I've just given that up a long time ago. It's um, so much better if you're in it. Uh, here's, a, here's a specific way to do it. Look at how you behave when you're in the best mood you can remember being. So you just got great news about something. Yeah. And you come home and there's a mess on the coffee table. My guess is for most people, the fact that you just got a big raise at work or something, you just got great news about a friend or something terrific happened kind of overrides yes. the pettiness of, I need to have this cleaned up a certain way. If you can do that in your best moments, you can do it in other moments too. You have that capacity in you mm-hmm. and use that as your model for what you want to look like. And then see if you can, even if I, I don't love the phrase, fake it till you make it, but um, you can even pretend sometimes you can say to yourself, that coffee table is driving me crazy, but that's because I am crazy. And then laugh at yourself. <laughs> right, right. I love that you brought that up because as just a moment ago, um, while you were talking, I was thinking, yeah, for sure. I, all of us are more um, reactive when we're stressed out, when sure. our tank is lower. For sure. And so I think really thinking about, you know, having the awareness to think about like how you react when you're at your best is is really helpful. And I'll advocate, I mean, we've, talked about this i feel like in different ways but i really want to advocate for the power i'm going to call it the power of the pause (laughs) and um you know that is just just take a moment before you know if you have a reaction before you actually say anything to Mm -hmm. to really think about uh, i mean it's related to what you just said but to really think about okay is this really a big deal should i be getting upset about this um you know i know just yesterday i was telling you i was you had mentioned something that bugged you just in life. And I was thinking, okay, I had a couple of times when I almost like said the thing that I knew would kind of be a little bit annoying. And I had inserted those pauses in my behavior and it was great. And it worked out really great. Um, and it's just, it just takes a little extra second of awareness. Um, but it, it's just really powerful. So I just wanted to like encourage people to Mm. do that. So ready for me to say the exact opposite now, which is also true. Sure, of course. (laughs) Because I think all those things we just said are really powerful and important. And I love your example. Um, And then I think part of what I, it's my personality. It's also part of what I do as therapist is that there is never only one right answer, right? Mm -hmm. Or rarely. Um, Sometimes in relationship, we need to advocate for ourselves too. Yes. (laughs) It's tricky business, It is tricky business. (laughs) Being a human is hard. It is. Yeah, right. Um, is, can this family recognize that I really like whatever it is, right? Even though it's mm-hmm. trivial and not 
essential to anybody else. That if you say, I would really like to have the sink be cleaned all the time, can the family recognize that? And is it okay to ask the family to do that? If you're going to do it, as I say it out loud, I realize what I think is important about this. If you're going to do that, you have to do that and realize you're asking people to do you a favor. Yeah. It's not that you're telling them how life should be and they are bad for not doing it that way. Mm -hmm. You're saying, I am more at ease when the living room is picked up at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So come on, I would like your help doing this. Mm -hmm. You're asking for help at that point. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us who want to control situations forget that we're asking for help. It's easy to blame the other people for being the way they are. Mm -hmm. And then you get in a situation of these people are bad and I'm frustrated that they are insufficient in some way. Mm -hmm. If you can let the vulnerability come in a little bit and say, actually, this is me who needs it to be a certain way. Can I ask for help with it? Yeah. It's a pretty significant mindset shift. uh, And not every moment in every family will be able to support that. But it's a nice thing to remember as an option. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. So we had touched on this a bit earlier in the front half of this episode. Um, But, you know, earlier when you and I were chatting about this episode and the listener letter, you had talked about the difference between doing versus owning a task. And I would love it if you could talk a little bit more about that and why it's important. Sure. Um, So I think we sort of said some of this, but maybe it can be more clear. There's a huge amount of work that goes into being a human and especially being a human in relationship. Uh-huh. And, and we, a human in relationship with kids. <laughs> yeah, right. For in more relationships means more work. And we seem to live, um, I can only speak to my own experience, I guess, and that what I that what I hear, but we seem to live in a society that is high on complication. Like mm. there's a million choices all the time. Mm-hmm. And we have all these opportunities which are amazing. And they also add a ton of choice and and sort of burden uh, mm-hmm. in life. Um I guess the point of this question is that you're asking is um, it's one thing to be a good soldier in the family and say, okay, I will do whatever you want me to do to help. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to say, I see why that's important. And so I will also be owner of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you don't really feel like you have a teammate if you have to always direct what is happening. Yes. If you, it's maybe better to speak in an example. If you, the family decides to get a pet. And I feel like this is a common conversation. We're going to get a pet, but it's going to be your job to walk the dog. Right? We're going to get a dog. But it's going to be your job to walk it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then classically that doesn't work out. And whoever was responsible enough to get buy the pet ends up doing the walking mm-hmm. of the pet. Um, I think, again, it comes back to the gender thing. There's, I just feel like I hear a lot of women who feel like they are not always women. Sometimes it's men, but whoever's doing more of the homework, the work at home feels like, uh, even if they have a partner who is helpful, what they really want is a partner who's a teammate. Yes. Right. And you're not going to, I don't think you're going to split every task 50, 50 ever. Mm -hmm. And you're going to care about some things more than your partner does. And you just have to accept that you own that more if you Mm -hmm. care about it more. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But on things like, are the kids getting fed? Personally, I think both parents own responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. Even if one person is the lead task doer yeah. on it. Now, is the house in decent condition? The money, money's a great topic, right? Are we both, if one person earns more money than the other, are we both financially responsible for the family mm-hmm. in some way? 
I think that's an important one. Money is power in a lot of ways. And you want to both feel responsible, even if you're not the income earner. Well, so what do you mean by that? That's tricky. I mean, we were just talking about that earlier this morning before the recording, but how I I feel a little stupid asking this, but how, if you're not say it's a one income family. So what do do you, what does that look like? How, how can you be financially responsible if you're not actually bringing in? That means both people know how to log into the bank account. Oh. website. Both people have bank cards and yes. know how to use the ATM. Both people understand what the bank balances are. Uh, you don't, if one person likes doing the retirement planning more than the other, if you're a family mm-hmm. who can do retirement planning, um, I think that both people don't have to know what's in every mutual fund that you pick or whatever it is that, mm-hmm. that happens there. But I think both people need to know how much money is in there mm-hmm. and, and where that money sits. Like that is... Um, that is a sense of shared responsibility. If you, for me, I always boil it down to if you were camping together, right? If you were trying to survive in the woods, mm-hmm. even if one person is going to be the water carrier, both people need to know how much water is left in the water bottles. Ah, good analogy. I like that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> if you're responsible for the family, you're responsible for the family. Mm-hmm. And it's good to divide up tasks, but both people are responsible. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay. So speaking of responsibility, the last thing I wanted to touch on because uh, this listener asked directly about it is kids and chores, which, you know, I'm a big fan of. Um, So I just wanted to share, as you know, I am just into just starting and doing it. I hear this is a I don't know how much it comes up in your practice with when you're talking with parents, but I cannot believe how many conversations I have with chores uh, with parents and that, you know, the real I think part of the the sticking point is relates back to somebody worrying that the task is not going to get done the way they want to, which we've talked about quite a bit today. By chores, do you mean the work the kids do? Yeah, stuff yeah. around the house the kids could help with. Yeah. Um, and I think the the other thing that seems to be more common now in modern parenting is this fear that, or like concern that chores will get in the way of homework or extracurriculars. And I'm always kind of like, no, you know, chores are like a family system thing. Um, so, and I, I will actually make sure to link up in the show notes, a graphic that we put together. And I, I believe it actually technically in internet terms went viral. It, it had like a hundred thousand or more oh. like share views and a million shares or whatever, not a million, but you know what I mean? Um, Cause people were really into it. It was a graphic about like a hundred life skills or chores you can get your, you can teach your kids in five minutes or less. So obviously I believe in just doing it. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts about that, um, particular, particularly if you have people who are resistant from the perspective of feeling like, okay, the kids, it's going to take too long. It's going to get in the way of their things. Like, I just don't want to do it. It feels hard. How can I, how can I start? Mm. Good question. Um, my first reaction is it's probably different in different families. I don't think there is a right way to do this one, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, personally, I think that you do want kids to understand that they are part of a system and that that comes with responsibility, that mm-hmm. the system is not just there to serve them. Um, but developmentally, you have to. I think you have to sort of understand where kids are at developmentally. I remember a daycare teacher saying... Um, something about the the little ones really want to help clean up, but they're terrible at it. And, <laughs> and the big ones don't want to help clean up at all. <laughs> right? um, so when a two-year-old is helping you with chores, I don't think you're trying to grind a sense of responsibility into the child. Yes. 
right? I think that's the wrong time to be saying you owe me something as a child to be helpful Mm -hmm. in some way. Um, But I think you can draw attention for that child to the way that other people feel when they, when the kid does something for the family. Oh, you put the peanut butter on my bread, right? Thank you. I love that so much, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's teaching empathy and teaching Mm -hmm. um, basic sense of relationship with each other. Um, As kids get older, and especially in adolescence, where kids tend to get so egocentric and focused on themselves and their peers very, Mm -hmm. very much, there I think it is really important to, um, and even good for the kid, to be able to have a reminder that the boat is still sailing and you're still on it. Mm -hmm. You are not totally out at sea by yourself yet here. We are all in this boat together still, which means you still got to swab the deck or whatever you do on a boat. Sorry, my mm-hmm. boat metaphors don't really work, but um, I think a kid wants to, on some level, even though they will push against this in adolescence, wants to still know that the family system is there for them mm. and saying, okay, what have you done for the house here? Well, you will get groans and eye rolls, I actually think is important at that age. So I guess big picture, I would say, um, and I think you you have focused on this more than I have, and I would like to see that graphic that you shared, but um I think recognizing where the kids are at developmentally and staying attached to the idea that this is a system and we all work in the system and trying not to make it punitive. That's the, yeah. like, this isn't about, this isn't a punishment. Mm-hmm. This isn't a, um, uh, I'm angry at you for not being a good family member conversation mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just real simple. It's just matter of fact, right? Hey, I've been making your lunch all week long. Remember, right? Your job now is to do this. Right? Yeah. This is what we do here. Yeah. It's more just a statement of fact. Yeah, I I I think that's great and I also think um I'm just reminded that it can be also helpful to ask kids well, you know, we've talked on this um show before. I've told people about this idea of, you know, asking kids especially during the summer when there's less structure, you know, what's something you can do for your the brain, the body, the house, that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, that's been successful. I which like I that. think has been great in just, you know, sort of gently on a day-to-day basis instilling the idea that, okay, it's not just all about you. Right. <laughs> um, but what I was coming to was that um, I think it can also be helpful to ask kids like what that thing they want to do is Great idea. because yeah. I know, you know, Violet, like she really and actually genuinely, I think enjoys and is good at uh, tidying up the coffee table. You mm-hmm. know, I think kids will like latch onto a thing yeah. and that's, that's good. Whatever you can do to yeah. kind of, get motion in that direction. I agree. Help them feel good about something. It's it's a lot like making kids eat vegetables. I feel like if you sit there and try to force them down their throat, it makes the whole experience terrible, creates more aversion. Mm-hmm. You can find something that feels appealing to them whenever they're ready for it developmentally and then really encourage that. Um, and I like your, I, I like and have appreciated um, your sense of reminding the kids, hey, um, gently, look, this is not just all about the family servicing you in some mm-hmm. way, right? You're, um, what are you doing to support the family today? I think kids generally do like the idea that they help other people. Yeah. Yeah. Not always sure. in every moment, right? They no. want it to be about them a lot of the time, but in general, they, um, will find moments where they feel really good about being of service. I agree with that. I mean, just the other week, I didn't realize I looked that tired, but apparently I did. Mm-hmm. And so the, you know, the girls were kind of looking at me and then they were like, oh, mom, why don't you, you know, go relax and on the couch and just sit there and play a game or read a magazine or something. And we'll, you know, we'll clean up in here. And I kind of was like, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, but to your point, I could see there was a real 
just a loving, you mm-hmm. know, joy and like, um, you know, maybe pride even in feeling like, okay, you know, we can, we can help and we can make it. So mm-hmm. mom is less of a. <laughs> they probably also know that if you, if you collapse, they're out of luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess there's that. But anyway, I, I think I just really like your point that, you know, kids, kids can take a lot of pride and enjoyment in being helpers and part of the system. And for that's sure. a good role for them. Can I comment? I agree completely. And can I comment on one more thing that of you course, said? Yes. Um, you meant you brought up that there's some tension between kids being so scheduled and so active yes. in terms of homework load and maybe after school activities and other things. And I really feel strongly about that one that we, I believe we ought to be thinking of the family system as an activity. And so it deserves yes. some dedicated time. So if your kid plays a sport and your kid is part of, uh, scouts or part of a group of some, you know, some other group or sings in the chorus or whatever. Those are all activities. The family's an activity too. Mm-hmm. And um, being around the house and figuring out how to be part of the family system in a useful way is a thing that needs some room. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, and we feel this tension all the time, right? There's so many incredible opportunities for the kids and those, all those opportunities have a certain amount of gravity, especially yes. once friends are engaged in them. Yes. Um, but Home deserves attention too. Yeah. I'm so glad um, you brought that up because I've learned a ton from you about, you know, just the being mindful of the family system and the fact that it needs a lot of love and care. And, um, you know, that being home is a thing too. That is a thing. So thank you for that. Well, this has been an amazing conversation, John. And uh, as I think you're familiar with at the end of each episode, Asha and I like to share what we call your next edit. People really like having like a concrete marching sure, order. For sure. Um, and it's something that listeners can consider doing right away. And I guess I'll start and I'll give you a, a minute to get your thoughts together. I actually originally was going to say something about chores, but I'm going to change my your next edit to recommend that people look for one thing on their calendar or their to-do list that they can just strike off of it. And, you know, edit out one thing this week. Do less. One, yeah, just one little place where you can do less and give yourself the freedom. And it just, it feels really good. Great. Okay. All right. So mine's a little more complicated than that. Sorry. I can't, I have trouble being <laughs> concise. Um, going back to the listener letter and the sense of going back to graduate school or to work um, and feeling maybe overwhelmed by that. Um, I would like to encourage people to practice an exercise. 60 seconds or maybe 120 seconds and take a piece of paper or if you like doing this with another person you could talk through it with another person i'm going to imagine doing it on a piece of paper and a notebook and write down like i don't know two or three or no more than five things that you actually care about and you feel like you have some reasonable agency to influence today mm-hmm. so they can't be so big as like i want to be a good parent right but they also can't be so uh, well, they could be, but they're probably not so teeny tiny as like, I want to empty the dishwasher. Um, but so I'm thinking for me, it's things like, I would like to really be present with my kids when I'm home mm. after work. Um, another one is, I would like to get to the end of the day feeling like I really tended to my clients. That mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be perfect therapist, but that I was really present and aware mm-hmm. and there. Um, I would like to have some physical activity, right? I'd like mm-hmm. to at some point in the day, get out for a walk or something. So I'm going to make three or four of those mm-hmm. um, and then do that just for today. And um, 
somewhere on that page, make a note to yourself that everything else is kind of optional. So this is really all I need to do that's important today. What I want to encourage in people is a sense of narrowing the focus of what you actually need to control. Yes. If the laundry doesn't get done today, that's okay. Right? It probably is going to get done. I'm not suggesting we're not going to do any other things. But in terms of the things that go into the bucket of, I actually care a lot about this, Mm -hmm. narrow that down to like three or four things today. I like that idea. That would be um, good advice for me to take as somebody who wakes up with a to-do list that can be quite long. So thank you, John, for all of the wisdom that you shared today. This was really an awesome conversation. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes. Okay, friends, you'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources we've mentioned at edityourlifeshow.com. And as ever, we always love chatting on the internet with you. This week, we'd like to know what is a household job that you want to share or outsource? Hop over to facebook.com slash edityourlifeshow and look for the question of the week pinned to the top of the page. Or you can chat with us about this on Instagram at edityourlifeshow. Thanks for listening. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.